Okay. There we go. Um, our sermon text comes from John 7, 37 through 52. We're back in John's Gospel. Remember, if you remember from a few weeks ago, uh, Jesus is at a festival in Jerusalem called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And it's the biggest festival of the whole year in first century Judaism. That's the one people camp out in their front yards, in front of their houses. So that's what's going on here. And Jesus went up secretly, remember? Mm-hmm. And now he is teaching in the temple. He, he secret stopped. He unveiled his identity. He starts teaching in the temple. And there's big crowds gathered around him. That's where we are. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? No, because this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we pray all together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. All right, so this is, had a few weeks now, took a break from the holidays, but before that, a few weeks in this John 7 story, the whole chapter is the same story, Jesus going down to this festival of tabernacles, feast of booths, or whatever your Bible translation calls it. Uh, in the feast, he remember he went down secretly because a bunch of people were trying to kill him. Once he gets there, he goes to the temple, he goes public, he starts teaching. And we don't have the main text of his teaching like we do you know, with the Bread of Life sermon. Instead, what John gives us is sort of the Q&A session afterwards. 
people start asking Jesus all kinds of questions about his identity. Who does he think he is? And I guess this would have been three weeks ago. We can summarize all of Jesus' answers by basically saying that Jesus was claiming to be God's person. He was claiming to be God's elect, special person in the world. Think about, uh, we call ourselves the people of God. We read in the Old Testament, we call ancient Israel the people of God. Well, think that way, the people of God. Jesus is the real, ultimate, central people of God. He is God's person. And that's what the whole theme of this teaching was. And now we see that on the last day of the festival, so apparently he was going up to the temple uh, every single day in teaching. And I would imagine because of the controversy surrounding who he was, what he was claiming, he was claiming to be kind of this, not this person of God, basically claiming to be the true Israel in a single person. He's drawing all this attention. We see that there are priests wrapped up with who he is. There's temple guards who are confused by who he is. And then there's the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees are, uh, they're sort of like a, on one hand, they're sort of like a political group. They're sort of like the right-wing, grassroots political group. But they were also a, uh, a group of religious pietists. They had a real strict interpretation of the law. And in a way, they were sort of like pastors. And they were among the people and taught the people. The Pharisees can't stand what Jesus is saying. So that's the picture. And here in verse 37, John, the gospel writer, he takes this scene that we've had these little snippets of, and he pulls it all together in this one moment on the last day of the feast where Jesus stands up in the temple. Normally rabbis sat to teach. So it's, a, it's kind of significant that Jesus stands up and he says in a loud voice this statement. If, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. The gospel writer wants us to know that this moment... This statement is the climax of this whole story of Jesus going down to this big feast, talking about who he is, and all these people getting all stirred up about it. This is the climactic moment in the story. Jesus stands and shouts, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, what I want to do in our time here is I want to take this statement and try to situate it in its context so that we can understand it in its fullness. If we just take it in isolation, it, I think we can just call it one of those beautiful, nice things that Jesus said. And it has to be, you know, we be thirsty, spiritually thirsty. We go to Jesus. It's beautiful. But Jesus meant something more than um, the way we might read this if it was on like a greeting card. Jesus meant something more than just making a nice, beautiful 
claim about himself. He means something specific, and he means something that's actually quite radical. So in order to understand the fullness of Jesus' claim, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink, and rivers of living water will flow from within them. What I want to do is, well, first, I want to look at this whole idea of the last day of the feast and then connect that to a couple Bible passages. So Jesus didn't say this at any time. He said this on the last and greatest day of the feast. What's that about? Well, this Feast of Tabernacles thing, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, and I'll just remind everybody, biggest festival of the year in first century um, Judaism, at least the Jerusalem-centric. Maybe it was different out in the diaspora, Alexandrian Jews, things like that. But here, uh, in Galilee and Judea, everybody's coming to this big feast. Passover was sort of the most religiously significant, but the Feast of Booths, the Festival of Tabernacles, was the biggest. Sort of like, as Christians today, Easter is sort of our most important Christian holiday, but Christmas is the biggest cultural holiday. This was the biggest thing. The city is crowded with people. Uh, To celebrate this, the reason they call it the Festival of Tabernacles is people would leave their houses, build tents, uh, blanket forts, you know, blanket forts, we talked about this, in their yard, on their roof, and everybody would live outside for a whole week. And it was to celebrate and to commemorate Israel's 40 years of wandering through the desert. They left, Moses led them out of Egypt, they wandered for 40 years, they went into the promised land. Uh, So we're remembering the 40 years we're telling our kids the story. We're sleeping in a tent in the yard. The neighbors are out here. People are cooking out. It's this huge event. Now, at the end of the feast, on the last day, there was a, uh, like a water ceremony. There was a place called the Pool of Siloam, um, which was sort of near the temple. And what would happen is everybody would gather at the Pool of Siloam, as I understand this. They'd gather at the Pool of Siloam, and then the priest would come out and they would draw like huge things of water from the pool, mix them with wine, and then parade them through the streets as people all followed. Maybe they were singing or maybe it's like Oregon Brewers Fest where you can go to like the thing and then you parade with the brewer. It's a huge deal. Probably not like, actually maybe just like Brewers Fest. That's the way I'm going to. That's for me. Okay. Uh, They parade through the streets. Then they go to the temple. They climb the temple steps. They go all the way up to the altar. Everybody's gathered around. And then the priest pours out the water in front of the altar. And water goes everywhere. And I imagine the people would cheer. And then when the sun went down, they would light big lights all around the temple so the temple can be seen from miles and miles away. That was the last day. Uh, So think about that. John starts with, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stands and shouts, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now is that context affecting the way you're hearing Jesus' words? It should. Here's the other thing. 
This water pouring ceremony, I want to tell you what it was all about, what it symbolized, because that is going to just deepen our understanding of this whole event. So two scriptures that explain the water pouring ceremony. First, uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And it's short, so I'm going to read it. Uh, this is Exodus 17. The people of Israel had they had left Egypt, gone through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. They're following Moses, and they run out of water. And the people start to grumble. Uh, Moses, did you bring us here to die? We're all dying of dehydration. Moses goes to God. He says, God, what am I going to do? Here it is. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Shin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? The festival of tabernacles commemorated Israel's time in the desert. And the reason they ended with this water-pouring ceremony was to symbolize this very event. The priests would go draw water, they'd go out to the temple, They'd pour it out. All the people would cheer because it symbolizes this event. The 40 years in the desert for Israel was only worth celebrating and only worth commemorating because God provided for the people during that time. That's it. If God wouldn't have done that, they would have gone into the desert and they would have died there and there would be nothing to celebrate and no one to celebrate it. But that's not what happened. God was with them. And God being with them, he provided for their actual needs. Caused water to come out from a rock. That's worth celebrating. So, that's why the priest would go and get a whole thing of water, parade it around, and then pour it out on that stone, concrete type floor of the temple. And water would just go everywhere to remember this event. When people saw this, when they gathered around and they saw the priest do this, and they remembered this story of Moses, people saying, are we going to die here? Moses strikes a rock. He cries out to God, strikes a rock. Water comes out. The big idea here is to remember that God is the giver of life. God provides for our actual lives. So that's the water ceremony. But there's more. Why did the priests go pour out the water at the temple? Why not parade outside of the city and pour out the water over some rock in a desert place? 
Well, because of a different scripture passage, Ezekiel 47. We read this earlier in the service. I won't read it again because it's a little long, but I'll remind you of what it was about, and you'll go, oh, I remember, Dan just read that. Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel was a prophet who lived during the Babylonian exile. This is way after Moses. It's about five or 600 years before Jesus. This is when the people that worshipped idols for so many generations that God said, okay, have at it. He withdrew his protection from them. The Babylonians invaded and sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried the people off to Babylon. Ezekiel was among those exiles. And while he's being exiled, he has a vision from God. And in this vision, you can read about it in Ezekiel 45 through 48. In the vision, God um, gives Ezekiel this very detailed picture of a restored Israel. The land is renewed. People are living there, and it's not just Judah, it's all 12 tribes. They're, and they're living in their, in their uh, uh, like according to the generational inheritance that was like laid out in, uh, by God before they even entered the land. Everything is right and renewed in Israel. Ezekiel even lays out like the borders of the land. It's a very detailed vision. And right in the middle of the land is this renewed city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, no, it's fixed. Uh, Ezekiel last saw it when the Babylonians destroyed it. But the walls are up, the gates are up, everything's right in Jerusalem. And then right in the middle of Jerusalem is this temple. And it's a big, huge temple. It's a perfect temple. All the uh, dimensions are perfect. It's this glorious thing. Ezekiel, even in the vision, follows this angel around. The angel's like measuring the walls. So Ezekiel can see that all of this was absolutely ideal. It was like this ideal form of the temple. And the angel leads him around to the front of the temple. And out of the front of the temple is a stream of water trickling out from underneath the temple. And like we read, the angel leads Ezekiel along the stream. And the further they go down it, the wider and deeper it gets. Geographically, that's impossible. Remember, this is a vision. It's like ankle deep, then it's knee deep, and it's waist deep, shoulder deep, and finally, nobody can even cross it. It's narrow, and then wider and wider, and finally, it's wider for anyone to build a bridge across. And everywhere this water flows throughout the promised land, throughout the land of Israel, things are renewed. Trees come back to life. Uh, the river flows into the Dead Sea, which is famously dead. But it turns the salt water into fresh water, and there's fish, and it brings life to the whole land. Now, that's a vision. It's a symbol. It symbolizes God's promises to restore his people. God's promise to call a people out from the world and draw them to himself and live with them. And that's why the priest at the festival of booths draws the water from the pool and instead of just going out to some random rock, he goes where? To the temple and pours it out. It's like they were saying, hey, remember the Moses rock thing? God is the giver of life. 
Now remember Ezekiel's vision. God isn't just giving life randomly. He gives life to his people. He fulfills his covenant promises. That's the whole water drawing ceremony. So, when Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, and he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Are you seeing how this fits in a symbolic context? Jesus is not saying this in a vacuum. He's interpreting the symbol of this water drawing ceremony. There's a third passage I want to show you. And this is not from the Old Testament. So when the priests did the water thing, they weren't thinking about this. But it comes from the book of Revelation. And it tells us how Jesus' early followers, in fact, how John the Gospel writer, later in his life, who wrote the book of Revelation, how the early church interpreted these symbols of water from the rock, Ezekiel's vision, and even Jesus' words right here. It comes from Revelation 22. And this is the third scripture passage that we need to look at Jesus' claim through. Uh, Revelation 22. This is the very end of the Bible. Uh, John the Gospel writer, like the prophet Ezekiel, is having this uh, apocalyptic vision. Uh, These are symbolic events. And he's seeing all of these things about how the world ends and about how the empires are toppled and about how God finally comes to reclaim the world. And at the end of his vision, he sees a new heaven uh, and a new earth. Everything is renewed. Everything is restored. And out of this new heavens and new earth... uh, Well, in the middle of this new heavens and new earth, he sees a new city of Jerusalem, a lot like Ezekiel's vision, coming down out of heaven and resting in the middle of the world. And then he writes this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be there in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. In this passage, John the Gospel writer sees something like Moses' rock, the river flowing out, bringing life, something very much like Ezekiel's vision, the river flowing out from God's throne. There's no temple in this new city, but we have a throne and God's on it, flowing out from that place and bringing life. But the life here isn't just to Israel isn't just to this local geographic community. The life here goes out to the whole world. And uh, it waters the tree of life, which is for the healing of nations. And then at the end, we have this picture of all of the people of God, where God's on the throne, out goes the river, but all the people of God, it says they reign with him. 
They're not just recipients of the river of life. They become recipients and then they join God on his throne, which is the source of the river. So throughout scripture, we have this symbol of the water coming out from the rock, coming out from the temple, coming out from the throne, and God giving life to his people, and God giving life to the world, and God giving life to the world, and the people somehow join him. Now, back to Jesus' words. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is basically saying, Hey everybody, I'm Moses' rock. Come and get your life water. God is the giver of life. Come and get it. Jesus is also basically saying, Hey everybody, I'm Ezekiel's temple. I'm the place from which the water flows. If you remember back when we were in John 2, when Jesus did that big temple protest, he claimed to be in the new temple. He said, tear this temple down, I'll raise it again in three days, and he was speaking of his body. Here he does it again. Jesus is saying, I'm Ezekiel's temple. Out of me flows God's life, God's life-giving water that feeds the people. But also here Jesus is saying, I'm the one sitting on the throne. And you are the people who are invited to join me. And this is the part where Jesus' statement here goes from spectacular to radical. And this is the part that I really want us to get as a church. It's one thing for Jesus in this richly symbolic way to say, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That alone would have been staggering. And we could read that and we can study that and say, yes, he is Moses' rock. He's Ezekiel's temple. Out of him flows the river of life. And we're going to Jesus because we want to be filled, satisfied. We want to be healed. All of that is incredible. But Jesus doesn't stop with that. Jesus goes further than that. And a lot of times in gospel presentations, we never get this far. But this is the most, I think, radical, staggering part of the gospel. Jesus says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And then he said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. As scripture has said, Jesus is alluding to these passages that we've been reading. Rivers of living water will flow from within them. That's nuts. Jesus is the rock, Jesus is the temple. Come to him, and then you also become the source of the water? Well, yeah. 
That's why in Revelation it says that the people will reign with him. Sit on the throne with him. That's where the water comes from. Here we see Jesus saying, everyone who comes to him receives God's life-giving water. But everyone who comes to him also becomes a vessel that carries God's life-giving water. Remember how in Ezekiel's vision, the river starts small and then grows and grows and grows and grows? This is how. Because everyone who comes gets caught up in the river, and the river keeps growing and growing and growing. Everyone who drinks from Christ, the source, becomes a new vessel through which the river flows, or becomes part of the source. We talk about union with Christ, communion with Christ, fellowship with Christ, talk about being married to Christ. Everyone who comes becomes part of him. Okay, how does that work? Well, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. You guys know how we say the Nicene Creed every week and we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. God is the giver of life. And the giver of life is the Holy Spirit. Remember in John's Gospel, we have learned so far that the Holy Spirit is the context of the relationship between the Father and the Son. For all time, even before God became human, the Father and the Son have loved each other, and that love is the Holy Spirit. God the Father and God the Son are together. Where? In the Holy Spirit. We've also learned that Jesus, who is the Son incarnate, carries a special spirit anointing. John the Baptist said, He's the one on whom the Spirit rests. We've also learned that Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. He gives the Spirit to people who come to him. He baptizes with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as God the Son is one with God the Father in the Spirit, and as God the Son in his humanity is empowered, anointed, gifted by the Holy Spirit, he draws us to himself so that we too can share in the Spirit. So uh, as we, we too can go into the inner circle of the Trinity and be enveloped in the Spirit's love. So we too can go and receive anointing and empowerment in life from the Holy Spirit. So putting all of this together, here's what we get. Jesus is the source. He's the rock. He's the temple. He's the source of God's life-giving water. But that water is the Holy Spirit. It's the life of God from all eternity, the love of God from all eternity, the life that fills Jesus, that empowers him on his mission. That's the water. And anyone who comes to Christ, just like going to that rock, putting out your cup 
in the desert receives the Spirit. This is crazy town. The gospel is not just that we would be freed from our sins. The gospel is not just that we would be freed from our sins and go to God. The gospel is that we can be freed from our sins, go to God, and join him, and participate with him, and have union with him, deep, intimate communion even with him. Because he forgives our sins in Christ, but then he brings us into his inner life in the spirit. And then sends us back into the world. Remember, the waters heal the world. And they water the tree of life, which is for the healing of the nations. Our church is small. All of us have struggles. All of us, in one way or another, are weak. Our city, we love our city, but it needs a lot of work. The world is broken. Wars are ravaging all over the place. What is God doing about it? Well, there's a river of life, and it flows from Christ. And everything and everyone it touches is raised to life. Where is that river right now? Look around. It's right here. What is God doing in Portland? Look around. He's doing this. Us. What is God doing about the brokenness in the world? Look around. This is staggering because God gives us so much more than answering our questions and satisfying our deepest desires. That would be enough. But he takes us beyond that and he gives us divine agency. In my experience in church, we either hear about Jesus being the source of God's life-giving, go to Jesus and receive life, and then that's it. Or we hear about God wanting to send you out into the world as his agent to heal things, and that's it. We're either supposed to just go to Jesus and forget about the world, or we're supposed to go out into the world and just make it a better place, and we forget about Jesus. But in the gospel, you can't separate them. They go together. God is not inviting us to some pie-in-the-sky dream where we just escape from everything. Also, God is not inviting you to be his construction worker, to go out and fix everything in your own power. God is inviting you into his inner life, and he brings you into his inner life. And he leads us into the world. Why? So we can fix it? No, because he is fixing it through us. If we remember this, and we look around at our little church, we can see that we matter. What's happening here is incredibly valuable. It's radical, it's crazy. And we can also see that God is not done yet. 
So, Jesus stands and shouts, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Are we thirsty? And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do we believe? Do we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? Let's pray.